0: Back empowers you to get it together with a single digital wallet. Use back to aggregate, convert, send, and spend digital assets like crypto, loyalty, and rewards points, and gift cards. Go to back, B-A-K-K-T.com and start treating your digital assets just like cash. You need to check this out right now. A revolutionary tech startup has created a way for you to convert your Bitcoin and Ethereum into shares of real, tangible art. Think paintings by Banksy, Picasso, and more. You know, like an NFT, but in real life. It's such a game changer that they just became New York's latest billion dollar unicorn. Just go to masterworks.io scoop and see important disclosures at masterworks.io disclaimer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Shaparo, Director of News at The Block. We have a very special episode of the show for you today, folks. On the other side of the mic, joining us from London is Stani Kulikov, founder and CEO at Ave. Stani, it's so good to have you here. How are you doing?
1: Very good. Very good. Thanks, Frank, for having me here. I mean, big fan of the uh, Scoop and it's very wonderful. Last week was uh, Lisbon. You know, a lot of things has happened there. There was a conference, hackathon and uh, legendary Rave party at the end of the week. So I am feeling very good.
0: (laughs) And you work hard, play harder, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly.
0: That's the Ave way. That's the Ave way.
1: It's kind of like a build Rave repeat cycle.
0: (laughs) You started your career in law, though, in Helsinki before creating this DeFi yeah. lending platform. How did you make your way into crypto?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it was quite an interesting story because I came to the um, Ethereum ecosystem roughly five or so years ago. And pretty much I found Ethereum during my studies, my last studies in law. I used to work in a few legal positions and, and trying to finish my degree at the same time and trying to think how we could use technology to improve contracts and make kind of like agreement and environment more efficient and I researched AI and then I researched blockchain and I stumbled upon Ethereum and when I started to read about smart contracts I kind of like I I think I pretty much like you know my mind exploded like (laughs) that was the the, the state I had and I understood like what kind of things you could do and how this like self-executing smart contract environment can do for applications. And before law school, actually, I built fintech applications for a few years related to finance, they usually working capital finance, financing gamers, anyone who actually uh, publishes apps in app stores or Google Play, try to kind of like I uh, finance those long payout periods. And then I've been always into tech. I built first applications when I was 13, 15 years old, and it's been always part of me. And then, on, on when I found Ethereum, I kind of thought about that you know finance could be a very good use case for smart contracts, and did kind of like a first proof of concept, uh, which was lend back in the days, short for Ethereum Lending.
0: Mm-hmm. A lot of people, when they think about the Ethereum ecosystem, smart contracts, their minds immediately go to finance. But as a legal wonk, there's also huge implications for that entire industry. I mean, that's what at the end of the day, a smart contract is an agreement. Most of what the law is are the social agreements we have with each other.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like what's fascinating to me is like how this whole concept of contract code is law thing and everything. And I I see kind of like from legal perspective, you know, agreements and everything related to that. It's it's kind of like a, uh, you know, consensus between the parties to agree on some sort of intent, right? And some of the like why there's so many disputes most of the agreements don't even dispute but when we have disputes you know there is always kind of like a dispute about what was the actual intent of that particular transaction and and then when we look look at smart contracts and what we see is is that you know we have the smart contract code that executes a certain type of way but then what happens if there is a vulnerability or when there's a exploit and whether that was actually the intention of the contracts there's this kind of like in 2016, uh, the, the DAO approach was like there was a lot of ideas around, you know, whatever you code, that's the execution. You know, that's the law. That's how it should be. And, you know, if there's an exploit, it's an arbitrage opportunity. But now kind of like we see more, maybe we have more mature understanding. At least I personally have grown during that this, this year that, you know, smart contracts are just a way to agree on transactioning and the intent that you might have with the peers. You know, if, if something goes wrong, maybe you can somehow kind of like go back and, and maybe don't go back, but you know that wasn't like the actual what you planned to do, and necessarily like that wasn't the actual like intent for the parties.
0: Let's walk through the growth of Aave. If you look at something like outstanding debt, I think we're close to about eight billion dollars as of yesterday, seven point nine nine billion, according to our data platform or data dashboard we call it across different chains. So how did we get here? You know, if you look at the beginning of the year, you know it was something around six hundred and sixty-one million. So this is substantial growth. What's been driving it? Yeah, I guess like in there's many factors.
1: Some of the them are related, of course, to the fact that we put a lot of effort in in terms of like kind of like ensuring that what we build inside of Ave is very innovative but at the same time it's it's secure and this is very hard part in defi and not even hard part but defi as a whole is kind of like an ecosystem where you have different kinds of experimentations you know it's a beautiful ecosystem where anyone any part of the world can just experiment create smart contracts might relate to finance might not relate to finance but just experiment like what you could do in an open permissionless environment and build on top of different kinds of protocols and at the same time, some of these protocols are holding big amounts of liquidity. Even even in a smaller scale as DeFi itself is very small compared to the you know traditional finance where, where it is today. But still it holds a lot of value in a very like kind of like a short period of time. Now we DeFi went from few millions to to one hundred billion dollar lock value. So they're decent amount of funds. And for us what's always been important is that we try to be as innovative as possible, but do it securely enough. So have procedures in place internally and also use resources externally before we go in a live environment. And what that means for us, like normally when you go to mainnet, you might have one or two uh, substantial audits for the code base. When we go to mainnet, we usually have five independent uh, and substantial audits in place on top of that formal verification, which means you mathematically your implementation to resolve the outcome that you are expecting it to have and eliminating outcomes that you don't want to have in the code base. So one part is innovation and security and balancing this this between. And third thing I would say is the inclusivity. So we always try to list assets in, in a way that it actually serves underserved communities. For example, when we list listed first Back in the days, LINK, wrapped Bitcoin and USDT as a lending currency. Some of these things weren't like very much appreciated, and maybe it's considered a bit more risky. But with the conservative risk parameters, we were able to onboard those communities because assets in, in general, there are communities behind, particularly like governance tokens, are actually communities that help us. And the same strategy we've been applying across different chains as we went to Avalanche. Uh, and do you want that before that into Polygon, for example?
0: Building in DeFi is not something that's easy, to your point. And you're navigating a whole host of challenges ranging from potential exploits, hacks, the sheer demand from users grappling with that. What do you think has been the biggest oh shit moment for Ave that you had to overcome? Mm,
1: yeah, I guess like probably like the, the V2 deployment. So, I mean, the version one was deployed on 8th of January, 2020. The amount of liquidity was in millions. And I think the top of the range in, in DeFi, some of the protocols were holding from 10 to 30 million worth of value just almost two years ago. And then over the that particular year, you know, these protocols started to hold hundreds of Many worth of value, including the Aave protocol, started to grow quite a lot and then last year in December, we launched the version two, which pretty much was a new protocol improved protocol from the previous version, but it had a lot of improvements, a lot of new code, and it was audited pretty well and you know internally we did a lot of work to make make it safe as possible. but the fact when you're deploying something new is always bit scary you know and especially i think it's fair to say kind of like the blockchain destroys confidence in the sense that when you put something on mainnet if you have brand as a community liquidity will come to you and in that sense like that was one of the scariest moments i will say to see like how the deployment will go whether there's some surprises to us and the whole deployment process itself when you deploy a protocol it's very intensive and then the craziest moment will happen when we have to actually deploy a new protocol in the future where we are not deploying a separate protocol but we are upgrading the code into a new code completely meaning that the version 2 becomes a new version and we have to alter this the contract base of something that is currently close to 20 billion worth of value inside of the contracts itself so the scarier part is still to come.
0: It's interesting because a lot of where you guys have seen growth mostly has derived from trading activity within crypto, right? Not necessarily, quote unquote, real world applications. I remember before you made it big and were this, you know, big crypto celebrity, in a sense, <laughs> um, I DM'd you about this crypto mortgage project that you guys were working on effectively tokenizing, leveraging the Aave protocol to And I think you guys teamed up with this this firm, Realty, on um, tokenized real estate shares as collateral for loans. What has happened with that? And and how do you see Aave engaging with the real world, so to speak? That's a very, very fascinating
1: topic. So for us, pretty much like our goal is that the protocol is flexible enough that you could actually use the liquidity from the protocol to finance you know opportunities in in real life in in traditional economy and how we did that is that we implemented a feature in the previous in the current version called credit delegation and what it allows to do is that as you supply assets into the protocol at the same time you have this borrowing capacity borrowing power that you can utilize against your assets i would say 70% of the actual protocol users they are not consuming the borrowing power, but what they can do is that they can individually or collectively delegate that borrowing power to someone else. It can be an address, it can be a friend, it can be a smart contract that does some sort of close loop function, for example, borrows from the other protocol based on delegations, does certain type of yield farming in other protocols and uh, distributes the proceeds to the delegators. But what I would like to more see is uh, something that we not only initiated with the um, what, what the realty folks in the beginning was interesting in doing so, but also could be applicable to any kind of a finance opportunity in real life is where we could have entities coming in and creating so-called vaults where they take these credit delegations. And once the delegation is done, it becomes a reputation-based Relationship where the entity will take that liquidity, let's say if it's USDC, up to let's say 50 million worth of trade delegations, convert that USDC into something dollars in real life, and then funding different kinds of opportunities. It could be invoice financing, it could be entrepreneurs, uh, it can be pretty much whatever the gap is. And to actually achieve that, that's one part of what you have to do. But then the the most interesting part is to ha- just find the growth. And I think where this credit delegation and using DeFi liquidity in this undercollateralized fashion will be interesting is when you can actually get competitive liquidity from DeFi protocols, let's say from Aave, and, and finance opportunities that previously you couldn't finance necessarily or it's too clunky. And this is where you could find uh, the growth. The problem is at the moment is that there is not many entities that are actually tackling this particular issue. There's realty, but it's a small project. I've seen a few other projects are interested in, but the potential is enormous because if now the DeFi market is roughly, let's say, 100 billion worth of uh, total of value, from that some part of is stablecoin liquidity and the growth rate keeps going similar, it's going to be a ocean of liquidity that could be reused in real life. Not in just in, in, let's say, the Western economies, but across globally. That's the kind of like where I would say growth, but we just need to find more actually projects that want to face the issue and, and solve it.
0: Not too long ago, over the summer, you guys announced the launch of Ave Arc, which is kind of a way to provide institutional folks who have to deal with their own regulatory requirements and parameters with access to DeFi. And Arc basically, you can correct me if I'm wrong, offers private pools of funds where folks who pass their know your customer procedures can enter on both the lending and borrowing side. want to hear about that and how institutions have been reacting to that. We had um, the institutional head at MetaMask kind of explain the risk appetite of the folks that they're working with. I spoke with someone the other day in the Ethereum community who told me that the largest banks, and this is just one category of the institutional world, they can't touch spot ETH, so they can't do anything in DeFi. It's completely off the table. But I'm sure there are other folks who don't have those same requirements. What does it look like at ARC? What, what is the situation there? How many folks are engaging with it? Has it seen growth, et cetera?
1: Yeah, Aave ARC market, or, or actually it's a separate protocol from the Aave the protocol, it's mm-hmm. very much the same in terms of the smart contract architecture. The biggest difference there is that some of the architecture has been changed in a way where there is so-called whitelister functionality. And this whitelister functionality can actually decide and whitelist or blacklist addresses that can, for example, supply liquidity, can borrow or liquidate. And then, of course, you can add more whitelisters. And this is based on the the Aave governance itself to add them more into the uh, particular Protocol market and the idea there is that there's certain type of uh, institutions that can, can handle uh, the market in general is specifically tailored to users that might have additional requirements related to the uh, risk parameters or let's say counterparties the peers that are participating market might be compliance and and so forth. And the whitelisters can actually enforce certain type of uh, requirements regarding the the compliance itself. And if if these whitelisters together come and agree on those parameters, they can then, with those guidelines, whitelist the users itself. Once you're whitelisted, you can use that particular market non-custodial fashion. So practically what the Arc market is doing is it's creating this kind of like a private environment for these market participants where they get uh, certain parts of the DeFi, which is importantly, for example, the way to interact in non-custodial fashion with the smart contracts and having the smart contract based execution. So self-executing nature, which is big thing coming from paper-based or electronic based uh, systems, uh, or let's say so-called CFI lending, borrowing facilities. And then of course, importantly for me is the transparency. So all these peers, and whoever actually is in the Ethereum community, I mean, in the DeFi community in general, can audit the market each and every second, which is important, even in decentralized finance, because you can create, not only can see the exposure of all of these protocols, what's happening and and mitigate risks, you can also create tools that mitigate the risk better. And essentially what's interesting here is that what we hear is that uh, some of the institutions that will not participate in the current state of the DeFi, because they don't have enough clarity on whether they can pursue. They're able to use something like the ABE-ARC market and the protocol. And that's those institutions are mainly funds that are more crypto-native or they're entering into the crypto space and they want to do it in very compliant way. And also in this realm, one of the whitelisters is Fireblocks and it's pretty much their clientele that is coming in. But also we have banks that are interested in joining as a whitelister as well. They're not the biggest banks. I think the biggest banks are more in the state of actually learning and getting education on, on DeFi, and they will not be the early movers, but the early movers will be the banks that are smaller banks, private banks, and are like exposed one way into the
0: crypto space. But essentially, gotcha.
1: it's an institutional market for mainly consisting in the beginning mostly of uh, funds, I would say.
0: And so is it large credit funds or or different types of categories? It's
1: different types of categories. Uh, we see basically funds that want to hold cash balances in form of stable coins in the market. And then also that want to do swaps as well. So if they hold, let's say, a certain amount of Bitcoin, they wrap the Bitcoin and hold it in the protocol or, for example, Ethereum or other assets in the future, and at the same time, drawing liquidity and being able to get more leverage and exposure for their own positions. Especially if this is the case for the more, the more crypto native funds are the ones that are on the borrower side.
0: Back is the digital wallet of the future, empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place. Back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto, loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them. Treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Sign up at backvakt.com. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now, with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go, 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. A new application of decentralized finance just unlocked a multi-trillion dollar industry. How big? How about $6 trillion big? High net worth investors have used this often overlooked alternative investment to build multi-generational wealth. The investment is contemporary blue chip art. And this billion dollar unicorn lets you invest in art similar to investing in a company stock. Masterworks.io offers fractional ownership of real paintings by artists Think, Banksy, Buscott, and Warhol. So instead of needing tens of millions, you can invest tens of thousands. Some of their offerings have sold out in hours, but you can get priority access today by going to masterworks.io scoop. That's masterworks.io scoop. See important disclosures at masterworks.io disclaimer. You raise an interesting point, which is the fact that the transparency of engaging with this protocol to borrow lend is such that you can position yourself in a way that can circumvent certain risks because you know what the market looks like you know how much risk people have put on whereas in traditional finance it's completely opaque and that's like that's the case not just for centralized lending in non crypto markets but it's the case in centralized crypto lending markets like we don't know exactly what the book looks like at a BlockFi or a Genesis, and the list goes on. And so in a way, you're not necessarily as aware of the exposure to risk that you have as you would be engaging with something like ARK.
1: Yeah, and I, I think like for me, I think when I found like the idea of smart contracts and what you could build in terms of finance, I think over time, what got me more excited was the transparency. That's clearly a very big beneficial aspect for finance in general. So we have this pseudonymous nature where, you know, we don't know who transacts necessarily, but we see the transactions and we see everything that's happening in in a market. So when we compare the so-called CFI centralized finance and traditional finance, decentralized finance, we see that the CFI TradFi element is like a black box the sense that you put funds there, but you don't know how the calculations works and what happens and it spits out your yields. But then in terms of decentralized finance, you have this you know, beautiful aquarium with all the fishes and you see how things move there. You can kind of like assess how everything will evolve, how risk will evolve and what are the exposures, what is where, and not just only in the DeFi space, but what's happening in rest of the economy. So if the, if the economy is on, on blockchain, what happens is that we also see, like we can measure like how much of the economy is interacting with finance, What what's the potential growth, risk exposure and build better risk mitigation tools. And this is something that didn't exist in 2008 during the financial crisis, especially big banks, banks in Wall Street. They couldn't figure out necessarily what's their complete exposure amongst each other was and the whole ecosystem. You do have, in the current regulation, you have different kinds of way of there's reporting. It happens on a quarterly, annually basis and whatnot, but that's not efficient as if seeing everything on a single particular moment in a format that can't be changed at all, which is living in this on-chain environment. And that just not just only creates better, more risk-averse finance, but it creates the ability to create more fair finance because you see the mm. big movements of funds the smaller movements and you can question whether different transactioning is good for the whole society
0: how large like how can you quantify the scale of what arc is right now well currently
1: arc is being deployed in terms of after the deployment i'd suspect that the current the beginning of the market size will be very small we're talking something from 10 to 50 million in the beginning. And there will be roughly a bit over a dozen peers in the market. Then the market will start to scale over
0: time. And what do you think is the biggest impediment to it scaling further? I think the market
1: will scale naturally as the market participants understand that in the current form, for example, that the market proves workable, which means that getting whitelisted, getting through the compliance process with, with Fireblocks is relatively seamless and essentially the experience of interacting with the market is easy. And it should be in a way, even in non-custodial fashion because they're forking the user interface, the community user interface that has been used now until this date in the community and using that uh, for their users. It allows not just being able to interact from one address but using something like Wallet Connect where you can use multi-signature would we'll say like uh, wallets to actually interact with the protocol. And I think once there has been kind of like a certain period of time, let's say two to three months, we see that the market works well. I think that's the next step where we start to onboard not not more, only more depositors and the borrowers and liquidators, but also more whitelisters. So the market is expanding by itself. So I think it will happen very organically because the demand is there. And there's a good amount of inbound, what I have heard, from Firebox to actually being part of the market. And it's interesting to see because it's the first kind of experiment. And also our goal is not only that let's say, you know, that all these entities and institutions are going to use the arc market, but our goal is that this gives them comfort on the smart contract level, interacting with DeFi protocols, gives them also comfort on seeing the transactioning and also importantly spilling over this activity into the permissionless DeFi over time when it becomes more clear to them that they can actually participate. And this is the kind of like a nature, I would say it's kind of like a where decentralized finance is like an ocean, a sea where anyone can participate. You
0: love sea analogies.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I would say like then maybe the ARC market is like a pool like a little pool where you can actually, you know, swim around and once you're able to swim more longer distances and not drown. Yeah, not drown, you will jump into the And there's sea. and
0: there's lifeguards to sort of check that everything's, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> kosher and everyone's getting whitelisted and not just diving <laughs> in at first. So exactly. what about um all right, now it's time for you to try to red pill me on on this decentralized social media project that you guys are working on. Why would I move from Twitter to to this?
1: Yeah, I would say for us, it's more about kind of like uh, realizing that I think in in general, Twitter works uh, to some extent. There are things that actually can be better. The same way, I I think we can convert Twitter to banking. Banking works, right? You You necessarily don't need DeFi, but if you want to take it to the next level, you go DeFi. Same way like Twitter, it works, right? But then if you want to get things to the next level, you go Web3. And what we understood is that if we actually can make part of the tech stack that we have in social media, a public good, in the sense that we make it in a way where you can create your own social graph on the social graph and anyone, any part of the world can actually build an application on top of your social graph. What happens is that it opens the whole environment and this kind of like uh, creates this rush on innovation. Because now, first time ever, you can actually build functionality an application, social media application, without rebuilding the social network from scratch. And when we look at the Web2 platforms, how they work is that their competitive mode is by capturing this social network, the social graph within the platform without sharing it with kind of like a networks that are not part of the platform. And the model itself is very extractive from the users. So users are submitting data, they're giving up data to the platforms and the platforms are training algorithms and selling products back to the users. And in Web3, you can change the value loops in a way where the actual users have the network they own the network, they own their social graphs, and they're able to monetize their content. They are able to amplify other people's content and monetize that. And you don't have this kind of component where you have this centralized entity abstracting the value from the users and bringing the value to the shareholders. Instead, the community owns the network and also you own the social graph and you can decide how you monetize it. Frankly, we are not even solving the social media at Ave. We are simply creating one particular building broke, which is very important, ability to pretty much broadcast relationships on chain and distribute content within that those uh, relationships. Pretty much you can distribute content to your peers.
0: And the more maybe social clout that, that you have as a result of uh, disseminating this content, if you have a, a following that's large, Could there be a sort of social score that could be leveraged when trying to secure a loan on Aave or doing something else in decentralized finance?
1: I think so. I think even many of the use cases might be, the most fascinating ones might be even not finance related. So let's say that essentially what we will see first, once the social graph is launched, we will see different kinds of applications being built, and then we will see social Legos. The way the same way we see saw money Legos, we'll see social Legos. For example, anyone can build a content moderation protocol on top of the social graph, any kind of other protocol that empowers those users, different kinds of modules that could be replaced by the the default modules, various applications. And you have the composability as well. And then you can have the composability with social blocks with, with social Legos with money Legos, which become even more interesting, for example, using social graph or grade scoring, creating some under-collateralized loans, but also it creates ability for, for example, involving your community because essentially you create a community around you to join the decision-making on whatever you have, especially if you have follower base and you provide them content on a regular basis. But also I could see that we can go even further and use... The social graph in things where you know uh, it might not be obvious. For example, you could be distributed product services that you didn't have access before, or you have access because you happen to follow a particular brand or a particular user. There's many things, and because all of the data is on chain, there's much actually that you can do. I think DeFi is one of the things that will definitely be part of it, but also in the whole economy and commerce could be plugged into. Do- using the social graph.
0: Sounds a bit dystopian.
1: It is. Any idea, you know, it has to have, like, there is one part of having dystopia and one part is the creativity that can be launched from it. And I think that this dystopia is still in DeFi, but also at the same time, there's sort of things we achieved in DeFi till this date. And I think the whole innovation Mm. curve hasn't finished yet in decentralized finance, but essentially, this is what blockchain is. It's about storing value and, Previously, we've been storing units of accounts. We've been storing that on Bitcoin. We've been storing that on Ethereum. And also, we now store more and more social capital because behind the governance tokens, in one way, they control the treasuries. You know, they have value. They control the smart contract code, but they also store the social capital of a particular community involvement. And then if you go further, NFTs is a way to store value as well. So all the crypto fund holders, it's not only storing the JPEGs, but also it's about storing the value of the community. And with social graph, you're pretty much storing your social capital, your social relationships, and that has value. And I think it just puts more kind of like a emphasis that when something is public goods stored on chain, it has more value than when you're storing something in a Facebook's database, for example.
0: You talked about the metaverse there for a second. It's something that I've uh. I've been looking at very closely these past few weeks. I've kind of fallen down the rabbit hole. How do you see DeFi and the metaverse converging? There's a new term, apparently. We love to create terms in crypto. It's Metafy, I guess is what we're calling it now. How do you see MetaFi playing out and how does Ave play a role there? Become interoperable with, you know, crypto voxels or Axie Infinity, that sort of thing.
1: I, I think in Metafy, I would say that first thing is that it becomes more fun. So being able to use, let's say, the other protocol from a particular game or a metaverse is, is a fun experience in the beginning, right? But as actually people are starting to spend more and more time in different metaverses, different games, it becomes more of an economy. The same way as we're spending time sitting in a cafe in our workspaces or you know, having dinners or meeting friends, it becomes an economy, meaning that you are spending, you're consuming things, you're giving things, you're doing all this like commercial economical activities, and that these activities can be done anywhere. And Ethereum it by itself is a metaverse. We are interacting with a blockchain. There's different. Anyone can actually build anything there. But then we can take it further. You know. It might be fun, you know, if there is some sort of kind of like a virtual room where you go in VR fashion, where you can go and there's a place where you can actually interact with the protocol visually. But then essentially, as many pe- more and more people will be doing that, it actually becomes part of the economy where you have to be in. So let's say if, and it's not just related to DeFi, it's related to any economical activity. If you're Starbucks or McDonald's and people are consuming time in VR or in different games, you might want to have there also a shop open and being able to let the users consume consume your brands. And the same thing applies to, to DeFi protocol as well. And they bring the financial elements. And of course, another element is that metaverses, especially in graphical ones, you have uh, assets. You have assets that can be used as a collaterals in, in the future. And you can borrow different currencies. I mean, Loot is a good example of a metaverse where you know it just propagated from one thing and another. And someone created the in-game uh, kind of like an in-game currency, which could be used in the in the game itself. It could be used as a lending currency in Aave, as a like collateral in the future. It's just like a completely new world that doesn't have any end and can be like not just experiment, but you know, it could be become
0: reality. Are you buying land in the metaverse yet?
1: I am. I I bought I. Nice. I've been buying Trevers, and now Avagachi is selling land, so it started today. So I'm I'm going to do that as well. Uh, what else I have? I, yeah. What's that
0: called? What was the last one?
1: Avagachi. So Avagachi.
0: Avagachi.
1: Yeah, it's an Avi ecosystem project. It's running on Polygon. They have a very interesting community, and you know, it's an integration with NFTs and DeFi. They're selling land now. Trevers is another one where I'm where I'm being I have quite a lot of. The pots. I I definitely believe that land is also kind of like a way you know, of you know incentivizing early adopters of, of a particular community of metaverse. So if someone is selling land, you know, just contact me. I I will, I will be interested in.
0: <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. All right, Stani, <laughs> I want to be respectful of your time. Last question: Where do you think you're the most contrarian right now? Mm, I will be more careful
1: about like how quickly layer twos are functional. I think they the future, but I think we're just going too fast. That's my kind of only concern, but I think that's the future. And besides that, I'm contrarian, of course, to things that hold innovation and doesn't allow freedom and, and doesn't you know open up new opportunities. I'm also contrarian of those kind of topics.
0: Me too, a little bit, me too. <laughs> All right, sir. Uh, this was a blast. I'm not surprised that it kind of went by like a snap of the finger. Always exciting to talk with you and your team once again. we've been joined by Stani, founder and CEO at Ave. Where can our listeners learn more about what you're doing?
1: I think following the Ave Ave Twitter handle, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there. personally. Stanikolachev on Twitter and I don't know, coming here personally in London, you know, we have our off-chain headquarters. Come find here. me. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Frank. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with you again for another special episode of the Scoop. Until then, stay breezy.